check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti. This podcast is for physicians who take care of patients with serious illnesses like cancer, dementia, advanced renal, cardiac, or neurologic disease. We are all about patient and family well-being, but also medical team and physician well-being. You'll learn things to help you heal your patients and yourself, and I am really glad you're here. Let's get started. This week, I wanted to share with you an interview that I did on Dr. Olabintone's show. She is an amazing family physician at Living Spring Family Medical Center in Mansfield, Texas. And I think there are a lot of gems that you might find useful. So have a listen. This is the voice of Dr. Tolu Olabintone, CEO and founder of Living Spring Family Medical Center here in the awesome city of Mansfield, Texas. And I'm excited to have with us a one and the only Dr. Delia Cheramonte. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And today we'll be talking about the question or the topic, Doc, a loved one I have has terminal illness. How can I help them through this phase? Doc, um, I've already introduced your name, but I, I want you to kind of tell tell the viewers who who are you and 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 what do you do? Sure, I am an integrative palliative medicine physician, and so what that means is that I focus on helping families who are facing serious illness live the very best life that they can. So that means that from a physical perspective, from an emotional perspective, from a spiritual perspective, really from a whole human being perspective. If you're still here on earth, your life and the well-being matters. And that's what we work to, to make as good as we possibly can. Awesome. I love what you do, Doc. But, but I'm curious, how did, you, how did you get involved in this? Like, what, what, was, what, what drew you to this? Like, what, why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. So I was a family doctor first. I started out as a regular old family doctor and I had a rural practice and it was great. But what I found often was that I had this population of patients who were just felt lousy all the time and I couldn't really find anything. I looked for all the things that you would look for, but they were still tired. They had headaches all the time. They couldn't sleep. They had maybe chest pain, but cardiology said nothing was wrong. And they, they were just, they just felt lousy. And medicines, the kind I learned in medical school, often really didn't have an answer. So what I discovered was that the more whole person approach, talking about their food and their sleep and their exercise and their happiness at home, their happiness at work, the thoughts that were going on in their head, working on those things somehow made the fatigue better, the headache better, the sleep better. So that got me in more an integrative medicine direction, which was not just about medicines, but about all the tools that can help somebody feel better. So that got me from family medicine to integrative medicine. And then I worked just kind of by accident on the side for a hospice for a while. And what shocked me was the hospice patients in general seemed to be kind of happier than the family medicine patients, which was the complete opposite of what wow. I would have expected, right? In med school, they wow. tell you if you if you take someone's health and make it better, they're happier. 
And instead, what I found was sometimes the people whose health seemed to be fine, I couldn't find something wrong, were not as happy. And the people with a clearly terminal illness were happier. And that kind of blew my mind. How on earth could that be? And that pulled me to learn more about palliative medicine, which is not end of life care. It includes that, but also it's just the care of people with serious illness, like cancer, lupus, kidney, advanced kidney disease, et cetera. And so I really wanted to dig into how could it be that these people with clearly terminal Mm. illness are happier? Mm. And what I found was that facing that often makes people focus on what they really care about today. Hmm. And when you focus on what you really care about today, you get happier, regardless of what illness you have. So that's how I got there. Putting those two things together, integrative medicine and the care of people with serious illness, palliative medicine. And uh, that's how I got here. Awesome. Awesome. I really love what you do. I know I've told you that quite a few times, but I do, I <laughs> Thank do. You. Now, for the sake of those who watch who are like, okay, what's what what does it mean to be terminally ill? Like what what does that mean? Well, so I think that's such an interesting question. I'm gonna tell you this. I have had several patients say to me, How can I possibly enjoy my life now that I know I'm going to die? And if you think about that for a second. Who, who here knows that they're going to die? All of us. A hundred percent. Me, you, everybody listening, everybody probably over the age of 10 knows that someday, a day that we do not know, we are going to die. And yet, we hopefully manage to live very happy lives, Right. So just because some doctor says you have this diagnosis, stage whatever, doesn't change that in any way. Here's what you know. Are you alive today? Yes. Are you going to die someday? Yes. You've known that your entire life. You still know that. You can be happy in the same way that you've been happy before. And the biggest focus, as I just mentioned, really, is moving your attention to today. Because if you're here on earth today, then there are a million things that can fill you up with joy and and happiness today. The thing that takes away from our happiness is when we focus on the future in a a worried way, like, oh my Mm. gosh, what Mm. if it comes back? What if the medicine doesn't work? What if, what if, what if? But you know, we could do that now. Like people die in car crashes all the time. You know, we have this fantasy that if you're sitting in the room with someone who has advanced cancer and you don't have advanced cancer, you have this fantasy that you know who's going to die first. You don't. Mm. You don't. Right. But we don't spend most of our lives saying, what if I have a car crash today? What if my house burns down? What if I have a heart attack? We, we just don't do that. Mostly we say, well, you know, someday that'll happen. And then we put it on the shelf and then we say, let's go work in the garden or let's go to lunch or let's go play with the grandkids. Right. And that's the same thing you do, regardless of what diagnosis someone has told you that you have, you work on today. Wow. So, so how do you, you know, you, you said something about, you sent, you, you noticed that the, the patients actually who, who seem terminal actually doing better and happier. How do you help the family, because that's usually a difficult time for the family as well. 
Um, yeah. how, how do you help the family navigate this phase? Because you said the patient seems happier, but are there family members? Like, how do you help them navigate this? Because that's tough. It is tough. It's a great question. And and I also recognize, you know, easy for me to say if someone has a loved one who is facing something serious, I recognize this is not a happy experience. But the, the idea is, however much time we have left on earth, we want to make that time as good as we possibly can be for the patient, but also for the family and for the family relationships. So I would say one of the big mistakes that family make family members make that then makes the experience more difficult with their loved one is they try to squash all of the negative, scary thoughts and feelings, and they don't talk about it. And so then everybody is kind of in their own corner being sad and worried, but no, everybody's worried about upsetting the other person and no one is connecting in this really important time. So one of the I hate to call it a gift because I know it doesn't feel like a gift when you're in this situation. But in a way, one of the, the gifts of having a little time with someone knowing that you might lose them is that you really can focus on what matters. And so if you're with them, don't be running around, you know, I got to do the dishes and we got to clean and we got to do the laundry and we pick up the this and we have to, you know, do that thing and we have to do this other thing. Try when you can to focus in the time that you're in and slow down. You know, if you can let some of the chores go, let them go. If you can hire someone to do them, then hire someone. Try to focus on the time that really matters, which is connection, sitting at someone's bedside, watching a movie together, looking at, um, at photo albums, reviewing, yeah. reviewing the time that you have together, being silly. Oh, remember Gosh. when you did that thing and we all laughed at you, right? People have this idea that if there's a serious illness in the house, that everybody has to be solemn and quiet. And you don't. What you what it should be the opposite in a way. Like if the time you have to to enjoy each other is short, up the enjoyment of each other, up the time that you spend together, up the laughing, up the connecting, because that's what really matters. Wow. Wow. A lot of gems here. Um, and and the, the person you actually want to make feel better, the person who you're concerned about, will be happier for it too. Um, 100%. Right. One know. of the things that people really worry about when they themselves have a serious illness that, that may take their life is they worry about their family. And they want their family to be okay. And they don't want their family to, to suffer silently. And so one, one thing that I think is really important in terms of communication is sometimes the, the patient themselves will throw out little lines waiting to see if someone will catch it. Like, well, you know, I don't know if this chemo is going to work or you know, who knows if I'll be here at Christmas. And often what people say is, no, 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 don't, don't say that. Don't talk that way. You have to be positive. No, no, no. And, and when you do that, that does a couple things. First off, it shuts down the person who shared that, right? It shuts down the, the communication you could have had where you could have had a really deep, important conversation about, about fear, about death, about the afterlife. It shuts that down. But also it gives the message to the patient themselves that we don't talk about that stuff here. 
right? Mm. And it makes them alone with it. It's not like they're not thinking about it. If they're thinking about dying and they throw out that little thread to you and you say, no, 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 we're not talking about that. They still think it, but now they're alone with it. Hmm. And and so not only is it harder for the, the person, the patient themselves, but it's a missed opportunity for connection and sharing and getting even closer. What we could say instead is, wow, tell me what you mean. Tell me more about that. That's my favorite line. Tell me more about that. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And it gives the opportunity for the person to share out loud what they're thinking, what they're worried about, what their fears are, what they're wondering. And it can lead to tremendous connection within the family. Whereas when you shut it down, it makes everybody sad and scared and go to their separate corners. And that's the the opposite of what you want. Hmm. Now, one of the things I see, you know, and we see, you know, around this is family members are are concerned that their loved ones who's going through this um, season is suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you don't want someone you love to suffer. So how, how do you help um, the patients live well during this phase? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I think there's two parts to that question in a way. The first, let me take this part first, which is how do you help them live well? The, the most important thing I think to help someone live well is to relieve their physical and emotional suffering. So if they are nauseous, we need to treat that. If they have pain, we need to treat that. If they're constipated, we need to treat that. Because if you're nauseous, in pain and constipated, you're not gonna wanna play with your grandkids, right? right. So you don't feel well. So the whole idea is live the very best you can today. And so what's stopping you from living well today? You have pain? Well, let's treat it. If you're depressed, let's treat that. If you're having spiritual distress, maybe you did something in your life you're, you're, you feel guilty about and you're worried what happens in the afterlife, then maybe we should bring in a spiritual leader for you so you can talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like what is, what is decreasing your well-being today, physically, emotionally, and spiritually? And let's try to relieve that so that you can enjoy today and live today and hopefully tomorrow and the next day. So sometimes people, even if we're talking physical symptoms, they have the medicines in the house. They've already told the doctor, the doctor's like, yes, we have a medicine for that. They filled it. It's in the house. They don't put it in their mouth. And because a lot of us have this thing of like, no, I'm okay. It's not that bad yet. I don't need to take nausea medicine. I can, I can take it. I can handle it. But the problem with being a tough guy like that is when you have symptoms and you don't feel well, then you don't go out to lunch or you don't go for a walk or you don't work in the garden or you don't take your dog out. And that decreases the quality of your life. So taking the medicines that you have to actually help the symptoms Hmm. helps make you feel better. When you feel better, you do things that are you, like maybe you go out to play golf or you go ride in the golf cart with your buddies or you, you know, you watch a movie with the family instead of staying up in bed. All of those little things matter so, so much. So if you have symptoms that we have medicines for, please take the medicines so that you can feel better, so that you can be with your family and live your life. Awesome. And I, and I have Ms. Mitra on. Hi, Dr. Mitra. Thank you for joining us. You made a few comments here. She said priorities will change with the diagnosis, uh, as we talked about earlier. Um and she asked a question here. Now, you mentioned uh, about the afterlife. Now, I do believe in the heaven uh, and hell and the afterlife. She's saying, well, what about when a patient does not believe in the afterlife? 
What a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it depends. Sometimes people don't believe in an afterlife and they're perfectly fine with that. And they have no worries about it, which is great. Sometimes people have some worries and it makes me want to chat about the three things that people tend to be worried about when they, when they say or imply that they're afraid of dying. The three things are, and I'll, I'll get to the afterlife one in a sec. The first one is suffering, fear of physical suffering. And so we, can, we have an answer for that one, which is hospice and other uh, providers, doctors and, and other providers that have expertise around symptom management at the end of life. You don't have to suffer symptoms. Hospice really can help. Okay. The second thing that people sometimes worry about is their family. Like, will their family be okay? So the family members can help by reassuring them, like, we're going to stick together. We're going to be okay. Sometimes the patient wants to share, like, but you don't know the passwords, you know, you don't know how to deal with the car. And so it can be helpful to say, all right, I'm here with a notebook. Tell me all the mm-hmm. things, like, tell me all the things I don't know that you know that I need to know. That can be really relieving. And then sometimes people do worry about what happens after death. Now, just because someone has a faith in the afterlife, actually, believe it or not, in my experience, does not mean they're any more or less afraid than someone who doesn't believe that. Sometimes people have no religious connection. They feel like it just ends when it ends, and they're, they're fine with that. It's often the people who aren't sure or who maybe had a religious tradition when they were a child but now don't connect with it, where they have a little wonder of like, I hope there's nothing bad out after, but I'm not sure. And sometimes people don't believe in an afterlife and that is distressing to them. Like that I would just end is very distressing. So for that person, there's really two ways to approach it. One is to talk about legacy on this earth. Like who are you? Who were you? What have you done? What, who, what do you want to leave? And making some kind of legacy project, because if you really believe that it all ends when you die, then what you did here on earth becomes really important. Hmm. And highlighting that becomes really important. So sometimes people will will write their stories. Sometimes they'll do a, a, a picture book or a video book or a scrapbook. Sometimes they'll just record into a phone or, or record to a person sitting at their bedside, which can be a beautiful experience for, for two people to do together. But I think you can ask someone, what would you like to leave? here like what can we do to really highlight the amazing life that you've had and as a loved one at the at the bedside or living with this person you can share that with them as much as possible you know what i learned from you this is what i learned from you when i was a kid you told me this thing and because of that i'm this person and i have grown in this way just keep telling them oh yeah i remember when you told me that and that that's why i did this other thing because i think that's really important keep validating for them the good they've done on this earth. And then for some people who are distressed by the fact that it all ends, sometimes explorations of nature or space, like outer space, sometimes can give people a sense of something bigger than themselves. It may not be God, it may not be heaven, it may not be an afterlife per se, but when you look at the pictures of the James Webb telescope, you know, of other galaxies far out from us, it does give a perspective of something bigger than you. And that can sometimes be comforting. Wow. Wow. Now I have a comment here. 
from uh, Ms. Veronica. Thank you for joining. She said, one of the things I've learned is to respect the family's member, the family members' perceived memories rather than the correctness of their memories. Oh boy, mm. that is so wise. That comes up very often when someone has uh, a memory issue at, towards the end of their life. It's not always that, but, but I'm going to include that in this group. It's never helpful to argue about it. You know, if they say it's 19, whatever, then just go with that. It's fine. And if some, a loved one, even if they don't have dementia, has a different opinion about how something went down and they're coming to the end of their life, don't argue about it. And, and that's actually why I think sometimes people as they're coming closer to the end of their life are happier in some ways because they stop worrying about small things. Like, what do you care? If this person thinks that, no, it was Joe instead of James that did that thing, who cares? Like, who cares? Right now, we're here together. It's beautiful outside. Let's go for a walk. We don't have to fight at all about what happened in the past. We don't have to worry about stupid things. We don't have to listen to what other people want us to wear or do. We can just focus on now and connection and being together. And in general, the less fighting you do or arguing or, you know, critiquing someone as they come closer to the end of their life, the better. It's not helpful. It doesn't make you more connected and your goal is to be more connected. Wow. I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for that comment, by the way. Uh, now, uh, last question. Now, you already mentioned some of this, but what are the common challenges you see um, surrounding, you know, uh, families who have a, um, a loved one who's terminally ill um, that we've not highlighted? And, and uh, yeah, let's let's go that route. Like how, how uh, what are the most common challenges you see? I said maybe top three. Top three, um, I would say toxic positivity is one, and poor communication is two, and um, distracting themselves from the the heavy feelings with busyness that just separates the family. Like, I don't have time to sit with dad because I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I have to go here and I have to go there and I have to clean the house and I have to do the things. I don't have time to sit with him. And, and sort of, it's uncomfortable. And so we busy ourselves mm. and then we lose this precious time. And sometimes looking backwards, people have regret about that. And I think one of, when you're trying to figure out how should I be in this situation, one of the most helpful things can be to imagine you're going forward a little bit, this person has passed and then look backwards. And are you happy with how you behaved? As in, you know, if in the last week you never really sat at his bedside because you were so busy with all the things and then he passes and you look backwards, will you feel like, yes, that was how I wanted to handle it? If so, fine, that's great. Or will you feel like, oh my gosh, why did I think keeping the kitchen so clean was so important when this was his last day I could have spent with him? Hmm. So, so basically they're all kind of the same thing, which is different ways to cut connection instead of making connection. Making connection is probably the most important thing. So spend time, be quiet, don't argue about things that don't need to be argued about. Don't shut them down. If they say, oh, I think I might be dying, don't say, no, 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 be positive. You know, don't, don't do things that fracture connection, instead seek connection. Because this is one last thing I wanna share. We're, we're so comfortable looking at birth as, as filled with awe. 
an awesome experience. Not awesome, like good, but like, wow, there wasn't a person here and now there is. Wow. But both, both ways, on the planet and off the planet, are pretty filled with awe when you think about it. You know, it's, it is, it's amazing. We're not here, then we are here, and then we're not here. That's mind-blowing. And so we tend as a society to stuff the last part of life into the basement. Like we don't talk about it. No one wants to think about it. And we pretend it's not happening. But it is an equally awe-filled experience. And with, we should approach it with reverence and connection. And we don't, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't have to stuff it away. We can instead be with it. And we can be with our sadness. I'm not saying we're not going to be sad. Of course we're sad. Right. But let's be let's be together in our sadness instead of pretending we're not sad and we're in separate corners being sad by ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. Be sad together. Connections. And you know what came to my heart as we were talking about this is sometimes one of the biggest issues too is, you know, uh, unforgiveness. Yeah. Um, the pain of like this person who's about to pass hurt me, and and so a lot of things we're saying is hard to do because there's still that. I don't know if there's someone watching that, uh, watching here. I would, I would really. Um, I know it's hard. Um, it's true. It, it, you know, but you know, I pray for grace for you to be able to forgive because sometimes that's that's what that person needs um, to hear before they transition. Um, it, it is true, and the one thing I will say is not when that's possible. When you're able to forgive somebody at the end of their life, that's wonderful. And if you're not, that's okay too. It's okay. Mm. You know, in, mm. in a way we we hold that up as like, well, you must forgive them before must. they go. Mm. But if it's not real, it's not real. And so I think we all have to check in with that's who true. we are and what we're able to do and what what we can bring to the situation. And whatever you can bring in a wholehearted way, it's okay. Mm. Mm. That's a good way to end. Um, more grace. Um, I love what you do. So thank you so much thank for coming. You. And I have people watching her like this doctor is amazing. I'd like to have her come on as a speaker and talk to a group. I'd love to connect with her and what she's doing. Or your physician, maybe you're watching this. You look, you know what? I would love to have her come teach physicians that I know how to do this better. Yeah. Where can people find you, doc? So they can find me at my website, which is integrativepalliative.com. Palliative has two L's. Integrativepalliative.com. And if they want to listen to me, I have a podcast also on this topic, which is the Integrative Palliative Podcast. That's on all the places that you listen to podcasts. And I would love to have people come listen because we talk a lot about these sorts of issues, connection, how to help the patient, how to help the family, how to help the doctor. It's focused towards physicians and other clinicians, but I know that I have a lot of people who are not physicians who listen. And so I think it there's gems in there for everybody. So please come. And on the website, there are some freebie things that you can um, look at for education for yourselves. I'd love you to explore what's there. And uh Thank you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak about this topic that is very dear to me. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. You're literally glowing. Like it's 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 from the heart. So this yeah. is awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you find value in this podcast, please do two things for me. Number one, share with a colleague. This is how we spread the word and I really need your help. And number two, please do leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It would really mean the world to me. You can find me at integrativepalliative.com and also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Come find me, reach out, send me an email, and come check out on the website our upcoming physician training programs. It's been great to have you here, and I'll see you next Thursday.